Good evening, everyone. Welcome to 12 Heats with Mike and myself. And we've got David Henry back, who we've had on before. He's busy with a new project that uh, is something that fitted in quite well, considering we did a programme last week with Peter Bell that was titled Manifesto for Independence. And then along comes a bus with Manifesto for Indy. Thanks, David. Welcome back, David Henry. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. What, what Dave and I are trying to do is to follow a kind of pattern of having people suggested that can come on as guests or we invite them on. And I want to try and follow a kind of pattern, David, but without deviating from what you've produced with your colleague, Jeff, the Manifesto for Independence, where I see the ISP have already adopted it. That is yeah. fast, fast, out, fast out the starting gate, but... In terms of the of the pattern, let me just say that I, the first thing I want to bring up is we know there's a Mike Russell 11-point plan. We know there's Chris McIlvenny and, and others pushing plan B. And both of those start off with a Section 30 request. Could you just comment on the fact that you have completely and utterly left out a Section 30 request from what you're doing? Yeah, well, uh, this if this wasn't one person that wrote this, that's first of all, it's been shaped by people with historical, uh, Scottish historical background, people with international uh, relations. So it came from the point, in fact, funny enough, our conversation just a few weeks ago on this, on our group, started out by talking about Section 30. And one of the chaps who is, uh, I highly respect and has a lot of experience made this basic statement that we're ignoring the elephant in the room. There is the Scotland Act. It exists. And Section 30 is part of the Scotland Act. And yet the discussions we'd been having was about the history of the Scottish nation and how, how it could be proved. And in fact, is an absolute fact that Scotland uh, is a nation. It is a sovereign nation. And it's been a sovereign nation going back. And we wanted to know exactly when is it established in history that we started internationally be accepted as a nation and that we're sovereign. Whereas quite clear when you watch what's happened with um, Brexit and our wonderful conservatives down south, that they don't seem to understand that Scotland is not part of England, that England doesn't own us. They think they do. They think that Scotland's just the extra part of that Britain is England, England is Britain, and that we're all part of it. Well, we've got some bad news for you folks down south. Uh, That's not the case, never has been the case. And if you think it, that's the case, you've been misled. But that's probably the Westminster bubble and the, the M25, where they think the whole world is within the M25 and anything outside it is foreign and uh, a threat. Right, so the history uh, is quite clear. The, the, the Scottish nation is established in history in 892 AD. 892 AD is a bloody long time ago and a lot longer than any British Union. So this was when there was a a King Donald II was made King of Scots. So this is going, and before that, we had different sort of tribes going on. We had the Picts and we had others. So, but the first first thing we can find for definite that Scotland is a, the Scottish nation becomes a, a thing is 892 AD. So the sovereignty of the people was established back then and it's never changed. So, this takes me back to the, the, the very question of a Section 30. Section 30 means you've given up your sovereignty. You've given up all the history. 
um, and you are now asking for permission from your neighbor because they own you and uh, you need to apply and they, they will grant it or not grant it. Also, it's totally ridiculous to go down that route because there's never been a country that's ever got permission from its neighbor <laughs> and who controls all their assets to actually leave. It's a bit like a divorce where one, one partner is abusing the other and the other partner wants to leave and the abusing partner says no. And they go, oh, well, then they said, no, I just have to keep putting up with the abuse. This is just nonsense. It's, it's, it's illogical and it's poorly thought through. So it was brought up in our group. Um, you can't ignore the elephant in the room. And I, that got me thinking. And I thought, uh, but wait, wait, wait. We've established within this group all these key facts. The fact that we're a nation, that sovereignty was established and declared internationally accepted in the Declaration of Arbroath in 1320 AD. And then it's the claim of right in 1689. All of this would, by the way, put in the little historical background in our document so that people can understand where this comes from and why the basic principle is we are sovereign. We're sovereign right now. We do not need permission from anywhere to do this. You do need to do it in a democratic way. Um, that is clearly central. Um, and I don't, think, I don't think either the Plan B or the 11-point discussion document, because I don't believe it is actually a plan yet, it's not been voted on, um, by conference or by the NEC. So I don't. I think it is just at the moment, technically, a discussion document. Both Plan B and the other one are ignoring the basic principle that we're already sovereign. Why are we a, ignoring this basic fact? I did a post a while back uh, onto a page, a small page I run, which was that asking permission from anyone is a complete denial of your own sovereignty. This, I think Dave knows I go on about this, that what I think is beginning to, people are just becoming aware of the fact that sovereignty is a very precious thing and they own it and they have to look after it. And asking someone else to say, well, what do you think about it is completely the wrong way to go. Dave, you and I had a quick discussion before David appeared on, 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 on Zoom about the bit that you appreciated most about the Manifesto for Independence. I think it was the opening paragraphs. Do you uh, like to comment yeah, on that? Yeah. Basically, uh, for me, uh, it starts off, the Scottish people assert that the Scottish Parliament is the only parliament that's empowered to represent the sovereign rights of the Scottish people. That is everything in a nutshell. And if every single party that supports independence were to sign up to that line, Everything else has fallen into place. Unfortunately, at the moment, I'm not sure that everybody will, but because there seems to be some rather strange people in control of one of the parties. Well, it's interesting you say that because there was a lot of reworkings. In fact, joking with somebody that if indeed that every yes supporter wants to deliver independence, which I'm pretty certain they do, like myself, then it's really simple. You go and find this Manifesto for Indy, which there's a website now um, called manifestoforindy.com. Go in there, download it, share it with all your friends, discuss it. If you genuinely want to deliver independence, then this is what you support. And you go and tell your parties and your um, politicians that are standing for your vote, you tell them what you want. They're there to represent you, not you to represent them. 
Now, I made a laugh because here's what it looked like <laughs> about five days ago. It had a lot of edits. Um, and we took advice from the group. And there's, as I say, a wealth of uh, knowledge there. And the advice was very clear that the history is unquestionable. And if you believe in Scotland's sovereignty and that we're not uh, owned by England and that we didn't give it up when we entered an act of union in 1707, which clearly we did not. Incidentally, one of the things that shaped this was the ruling that's come out of the Martin Keaton case. You know, I mean, he's it, lost his case, but it's being appealed. But the actual ruling, so he did have standing, which I followed with great interest, but it was the words from uh, the, the, I can't remember her name, Lady... Lady Carmichael. Is it Lady Carmichael? Because um, I've been following another case as well, so that was another name. Uh, so Lady Carmichael's words were very profound. And it stated, and this is what focused me on this, and I said, uh, but if you read that, it says that it's the, the people are sovereign, uh, the... The, it's up to, so, and this was the, in a nutshell, this is what's happened. The Westminster cre helped recreate the Scottish Parliament. They thought they were throwing a crumb. No doubt we'd all be happy and just do play along and carry on paying all our taxes to them and be grateful for our pocket money coming back. Um, yes, however, when you realise that once you've created a political and uh, democratic uh, um, parliament like we have, it is not up to the people who created it to decide what powers that parliament has. It is the people that vote for it that decide what powers it has. That is the sovereignty. So you're, you're basically lending your sovereignty. And I got that. I mean, I've been on a real journey, um, a legal history journey. I sat in on the Joanna Cherry case uh, in the court sessions for the, during the appeal and the original one. I uh, took lots of notes. It became clear in that case that um, the people of Scotland were sovereign, and that's why we have a Scottish legal system that's completely separate to the law of England and Wales. Um, we never gave that up. That was part of the Act of Union. They would always be the two. The only thing they agreed at the fact then, and that was brought up last night, is that we would merge our parliaments into a parliament that covered both. But we never gave up. So we basically pooled our sovereignty together, but we always kept our own. It's quite distinctively different. It's why we have a Church of Scotland. It's why we have an education system that's different. We have, you know, we have all of these uh, pieces of infrastructure that have stayed. The legal system is the main one. English law cannot overrule Scottish law. So Section 30 is giving away uh, Scottish legal law and handing it to somebody else. That is what it's done. Section 30 is asking permission from a parliament that we are not, we haven't given our sovereignty to. We agree to be part of it. Um, and that was the good. Now, also brought up uh, at the weekend on the All Under One banner, which I thought was very profound. Uh, Grousebeater was on that panel and he stated that Brexit destroyed the union. The act of union was over the moment England ignored the democratic will of Scotland. Scotland is a sovereign nation. If you want, if you believe in the union so much, then what they should have done 
and they didn't. Their, their arrogance was incredible. They decided to totally ignore any and all uh, things that came from the Scottish government. They ignored the 62% majority here, and we're ripping you out of the EU, and we don't care what you think. And we're all British people, and the British people spoke. No, the British people didn't speak at all. There is no such thing as the British people. David, let me, <clears throat> let me try and take you off section 30. It's, it's <laughs> something I'm going to raise in all of the programmes, right? Because yeah. if we had Chris McElhenney back on, he's been on before and explaining his plan B. He, he may or may not have changed his mind. We don't know. But it's, it's, it's one of the subjects I want to... We archive all the programmes we do, Dave and I. And therefore, someone can go back and pick up every single programme we've done and the different versions, the different ideas that may come out of that. I want to concentrate just now on your your manifesto for independence. Dave has picked his particular bit. One of the things that you have stressed and that's come out in what you've just said is the primacy of the Scottish Parliament. When Peter Bell was on, I said, and also the permanence of the Scottish Parliament. But can we move on again as part of this pattern? And when we had Peter Bell on, we talked about Article 1 and he corrected me and said, no, it's Article, I think, 14 and 15 or something else at the United Nations. Dave explained and keeps me right on what happened over Kosovo. The first item on your manifesto for independence is independent international recognition. Could you comment on why, why did you put that as number one? Is that random or was it deliberate? No, it's definitely deliberate um, because what we're trying to, first of all, what we would like to see happen. So this is a message for our uh, friends in the SNP. Um, not only the, the Manifesto for Indies statement must be adopted into manifestos of every party that is serious about delivering independence. So clearly the SNP should be giving a lot of thought about what they start their, their manifesto with. I believe that's the statement you're voting for this party, this is the statement you're voting for. It's got to be very, very explicit and clear. The reason we've got, so the first two items, international recognition. So it's really on a list of priorities. Let's say on the, the 6th of May, we get uh, uh, overall majority of MSPs that had, and parties that had signed up and supported and adopted the Manifesto for India as the basis of their manifesto. All the manifestos will be slightly different, I'm sure. They'll all have different policies on green issues, etc., whatever that is. And that's very healthy in a democracy, and that's absolutely the way it should be. But the main thing you're voting for is the statement that we are sovereign, and this only sovereign parliament is the Scottish one. That then creates a situation where the people of Scotland have clearly spoken in a democratic uh, process, which was internationally recognised, but for it to be internationally recognized, we need a country. So if you want to establish your, you are an independent sovereign state, you need another country to, to agree that you are. It's no good people just claiming that you are. And, right? um, so it's clear that work should take place now. And so I can assure you, I already emailed this to some Irish politicians. I also emailed this document to the president of the EU because I believe the EU would welcome Scotland as a member with open arms, and I think it would benefit us immensely. And uh, if Brexit has proved anything, you shouldn't just throw out a slogan and ask people to vote for something without any 
detail of what's going to happen afterwards. So the first thing, international recognition, ideally you'd want to see a European nation. It could be the United States of America, of course, or Canada or Australia or any country around the world that recognizes a sovereign state says, no, we hereby recognize and endorse the process. And uh, Scotland is therefore independent. That's it. I um, mentioned Kosovo, sorry to interrupt, David, yeah. I mentioned Kosovo, and that basically, Dave keeps me writing this, it's only Spain and Serbia that haven't recognised them, and I know there was something happened in the White House in America, whereby Serbia and Kosovo were actually establishing trade patterns between the two countries, so mm -hmm. I start with that. I'm, I warned you beforehand I would be slight, maybe devil's advocate, not doing it to be mischievous, no, but no. Item number two is an EU continuity bill, which I fully, fully understand. Yep. There are people, and I include myself in this, yeah. who believe that the EU should come after we begin to be comfortable within EFTA and the European Trade Association. How flexible is your manifesto for independence? So that it doesn't cause, and I, I'm saying this mischievously, deliberately, so it doesn't cause someone like me who maybe thinks EFTA first to turn off what you're doing because you've included an EU continuity bill. Well, the continuity bill, uh, one, it already exists. It was written uh, for the Scottish government. It was then overruled and appealed by Westminster, who then retrospectively, if you remember, there was a lot of controversy. Did they have the power? Was it the part of the competence of Scottish power, uh, Scottish government to, and parliament to actually create such a bill? Uh, and it was claimed it wasn't competent. And it turned out it was competent. But by the time they got it to the Supreme Court in the appeal process, uh, Westminster had rewritten the law so that it wasn't competent anymore. Now, the purpose of the continuity bill doesn't mean we've joined the EU. That's not what it says. Continuity bill is about reintroducing, so it reintroduces a piece of legislation that's already been written that was competent. So it can be done immediately. It's sitting there in a file somewhere. Pull it back out, put it to the MSPs, vote for it, boom, you've got your continuity bill. The continuity bill would require um, uh, a protocol with the EU, which is not uh, joining the EU, right? It's, it, but it is a temporary measure protocol. Uh, which would allow us to show that we are adopting their regulations and standards for foods and goods and services, etc. Therefore, freeing us from this Brexit madness uh, and all the damage that it's causing to Scottish producers of food and drink and, uh, and exporters. So number one priority here was what is practical? So first of all, the practical step is to get international recognition. So the first step is, is legitimate. The second step, the EU continuity bill the work's already been done for it. You've asked about EFTA, etc. There's lots of uh, views on this. I happen to like the EU. Uh, I happen to like the single market. I happen to think the um, the workers' rights and human rights and all this is is something that I fully support. And and I think we're all poorer and much worse off losing it. The single market. It just goes to show Brexit proves one thing that um, international trade is much more difficult than, than maybe ordinary voters think it is. You know, uh, a truck comes full of goods from God knows where. It says it's milk. How do you know it's milk? It's because somebody's tested it. 
because it has a, a label on it that says it complies to a certain piece of legislation. That is, it, that is every product that is ever made anywhere. If you didn't have regulations and you didn't have anyone enforcing them and checking these things, then that's white liquid that you're about to drink might not be what you think it is um, because there's no standards. That's what the EU brings. It brings a set of standards. Um, so it could be that, and this remember, this is a two-year transition period we've highlighted because we think two years, like Brexit, we had a transition period. Um, it was brought up last night by part of the group. How on earth would we, after this, cope with all the laws that need to be written? As well, we should perhaps learn one thing from the Brexiteers, which is they wrote a simple adopting all EU laws into Westminster, into British law, as they put it. So that is one way you could do it, so that during the transition period, there will be laws on uh, Road Traffic Act, uh, all the things that have come out of Westminster. There's an endless list of them. So what I wanted, to David, what I wanted to do was to pick the EU continuity bill, and you yeah. explained it perfectly for what I wanted you to do, was to say, look, this is not automatic entry into the EU, no. It is a way of approaching a situation which you would have to deal with in a transition period. Yes. And my mention of EFTA was not to digress off to another subject. It was to try and prove what the EU continuity bill was. In, in, uh, can I just say, actually, to highlight the fact that it's not uh, saying we're forcing everybody into the EU, because there's lots of diverse opinions on that. But item number five is EU stroke Scotland trade links. And that's would be going on during the two years to, and of course that will be, is it after we go into first, uh, do we want to monetary union? I mean, all the things that uh, people will want to discuss um, and have different views on. But the first thing you're, you're voting for on the 6th of May is to make a very clear public democratic statement that the Scottish people assert the Scottish Parliament is the only parliament that is empowered to represent the sovereign rights of the people of Scotland. End of story. So your section 30 is irrelevant because there is no section 30 because you've just declared that all the Westminster stuff doesn't exist. It's a blank piece of paper. It's gone. Now you've got the hard work of putting back in what you want and delivering all the benefits that independence undoubtedly will deliver. And so that's what that's why we did put things down. It's interesting, even in our own group, they said, oh, do you think these are aspirational? They're not aspirational. There's nothing aspirational about international recognition. There's nothing aspirational about an EU continuity deal. They're just practical steps that you must do immediately because you want to open up the trade. Because I believe if Ireland has proved anything, and they're a slightly smaller country than Scotland. They've got no oil and gas and, you know, Yet they're doing very well. They've now re-established and increased the number of direct links direct to the single market with ferry links. Scotland needs the same. Let me bring in Dave, who I know has a, a kind of close connection with things Europe. Dave? Well, you're talking about aspirational. I would like to point out that the most aspirational thing I have seen in the last two years is that Boris will agree to a Section 30. 
That's that's the most aspirational thing I've ever seen. That's got no possibility of happening, although it might now. Yeah, uh, going back to the Europe thing, I lived in Antwerp for 25 years in Belgium. I was there right through the the, the time when the currency changed for the Belgian franc to the to the euro, and when they were using two currencies and they went went together. And part of all the prices going up, which was down to like basically Tories that run shops. <laughs> um, they've got them everywhere. It was seamless. Uh, so so the, the, there's not so much problem with that. For me, half my family live in Europe, and now I need to have visa to go and visit them. And it's, it's absolutely shocking. My daughter was going to come here to do her last year on Erasmus, uh, and then she ended up not being able to do that, her legal degree. It's a whole generation are going to have it wiped out. I mean, I can remember when we joined when we joined the common market, I can remember all the trouble about it. It, it became a way of life. Now, that said, the EU are taking on an awful lot of things when you're talking about sovereignty. They're taking on an awful lot of things that maybe they don't have to because that some people in the European Union are trying to build a super state. For me, I would be much more comfortable being a staunch European to go for EFTA first and let people see what the difference is because Norway don't seem to have trouble, any trouble with it. Uh, and as I say, like, they, they still, okay, they don't get to make the decisions, but... At the end of the day, you don't get to make the decisions anyway when you're a small country. You get an input into the decisions, but at the end of the day, if France or Germany overrule you, don't, you don't really get anything at all. And I think if you get the free trade and you get the freedom of movement, which for me is the absolute must. I mean, culturally, if you want a country to grow up to be racist, don't introduce them to other cultures. I, I'm very, I'm very pro-European. I'm even considering going back there if things go wrong on May the 6th. <laughs> Let me bring you back in. You've got freedom of movement. Yeah. You've got Erasmus. Yeah. You've got your single market connection. You've got ferry links that you want to open. Would yeah. you like to develop? They're, they're not top of your list. And I, I'm going to say this to you and then we're going to talk about pensions in a second. Yeah. Pensions comes below those things. They're not, I have to say, that. so after the first two points, they're not in order of preference or important. Or, or important. You've got to detail what you think simple, uh, deliverable um, next steps are. So that it's also, it's important to show that these things have been considered, you know. Uh, I mean, if you were to list everything that needs to be done, my goodness, you'd need a telephone book. So, and that's not practical. In fact, if there's one lesson we could, we could learn from Brexit, one, they did no homework, they had no plan, there was no white papers, they never thought they were going to win. And then when they did, look at the mess they'd created. But two, we had uh, our referendum in 2014, and possibly it didn't do us any good, uh, producing 600 pages in Scotland's future. Um, although it's good to know that they did look at these things, it's probably too much information, and it's probably also not really the party that's in power at the time's uh, job to be writing what they think the next government is going to be doing because it won't be them that will be uh, delivering it. It will be the next government that delivers it. So pensions. I think one of the things that's been missing in the last few years since I joined the SNP is where is the future vision of what an independent Scotland is? It's all very well us going through this process. And yes, by the 7th of May this year, Scotland could be the independent country that all the yes voters want. Make it happen. But what are we doing it for? Are we just going to reproduce exactly what we had before, but this time all the votes happened in Edinburgh rather than in London? 
because I don't think that's what independence is really about. But one thing I, I really like and I supported and I supported, I voted for it at conference at the SNP. I actually did a bit of research as well and had a speech written. I didn't get called for the speech. Of course, it got passed. So it's party policy. The SNP policy on pensions is to see the pension increase to the EU average. That would see it ne nearly double. So instead of £168 a week at the moment, which incidentally is the worst pension in Europe, the UK is not a success. It's a total failure. You know, people work all their lives as putting money into the tax system, while others abuse the tax system and hide their money offshore, paying no tax. And that is why, one of the reasons why they don't have the money to give, to give a better pension, because they're allowing the City of London and others to hide their money in British Virgin Islands, Cayman Islands, etc. So if that wasn't happening, our country would be much better off. You talk about Norway. Norway is an EFTA, and they have to pay for access to it. They have to abide by all the rules and regulations, but they get no say in creating the rules. That's the only real difference. I think Scotland should play its part, and I think it would be, along with some of its neighbours and friends, like France and Ireland and others, would be able to perhaps stand up and say, listen, you're going too far. We don't need this super state. We don't need regulations on this particular product. But you can only do that if you've actually got a vote. If you're actually just forced to take the rules and keep paying the fees, then you can't affect the outcome. So I think the EU membership is far better than EFTA. But that's my personal view. And if others disagree, then that's, that's why we're in a democracy. Now, that decision can be made later. They could always have a referendum a couple of years from now and say, here are the options. What do you want? You, the people of Scotland, you're the sovereign people. You tell us what you want. You want to rejoin the EU? Here's the deal. This is what it costs. This is what we get. Do you want EFTA? Here's the deal. This is what it costs. This is what we get. So, but that's, and that's perfectly legitimate, and I would encourage that process. Good, David, if I may, is that we're at a very historic, very crucial point in Scotland's history. Long after we three and everyone else watching this programme is dead and gone, there'll be arguments about what we should be doing in Scotland, how we should be doing it. At the moment, our concentration, the reason I'm interrupting and raising that, I want you to bring you on to one of the other items you have, which is the National Assembly. What are your personal thoughts on maybe how that should be formed, when it should be formed? I actually see it as part of what you're trying to achieve at the moment, if I can make that comment, that a manifesto for independence, central, 6th of May, we're declaring the parliament as our parliament and it's the sovereign parliament because the sovereign people have said that. But we've got to bring people together on that and a national mm -hmm. assembly is one way of doing that. Do you see that? You give me your views on it. How do you see that taking part? Uh, well, the idea of the national assembly, because I think uh, everything is up for negotiation afterwards. Everything. What, what, what sort of country are we going to have? Minimum income, uh, rent, uh, regulation, etc. Uh, I'm not a, a huge supporter personally of uh, the state getting involved in trying to uh, fix and rig markets. I don't think it really works very well. But then I also think uh, uh, the free market can clearly be abuse people's rights and, and positions, etc. So uh, that all needs to be discussed, and the people in Scotland need to decide what sort of country they want. Um, 
clearly, I think we all agree on certain things like free health care, increasing the pension. Well, why wouldn't we do that? It also puts money into what is um, a section of society that uh, sometimes barely can keep the heaters on. You know, I mean, it's just not right. And the UK is not a success. It's a total failure. Uh, there'll be many things on defence. Well, I mean, I have, we haven't got anything in here on defence, uh, except that defence spending at the moment is three and a half billion pounds, uh, and only one billion of that is actually spent in Scotland. So we're subsidising the UK's defence by two and a half billion a year. Um, and that's according to your JER figures, <laughs> which are only an estimate based on a survey. So they're not really that accurate. Uh, so I think National Assembly, so first of all, there's no time to pull that together and to physically organize it right now during COVID. It's just not possible between now and the 6th of May. The 6th of May is a fixed date. There's no way we can move on that. And I don't think we should want to either. That would let the unionists game the system. So let's stick with what we've got. Uh, all we can basically say is get behind it, get in touch with your political representatives and tell them what you want to vote for. Um, they'll know what that means. These items are not written in stone, you know? We haven't said that parties have to adopt the whole thing. What we want is the first three things, the statement and one and two. After that, it's open to everybody. But why would anyone not want freedom of movement? Uh, one of the things about the Scottish, uh, the border between Scotland and England, uh, in the transition period, that should continue for free movement of people. There may well be needing to be some regulations brought in if we've got access to the single European market and uh, England has gone off down some rabbit hole deciding to bring in genetically modified crops and poisonous chickens from America and, uh, you know, all these other horrible imports that they think they're going to flood our supermarkets with. Um, then, of course, then there needs to be checks when it comes to trade. We can't have England effectively exporting uh, rotten food and using Scotland as the route into just like they can't do it in Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland. So that needs to be uh, discussed and, and people need to be thinking on that. I, I, someone's emailed us just yesterday, actually, after reading this, um, and they live down in near the border. And they said that they were they've got the document and they appreciated it and liked it, but they were worried about the issue going forward about how would a border work with England and Scotland? First of all, yes, there's a going to be a border. There is a border now. There has been a border since 892. So uh, despite what Boris and the Tories say that there's no border, there is a border and there always has been. One of the examples that I gave, and that's just my personal view, is I've got experience of taking things from France, actually from London, to France through to Geneva, the Geneva Motor Show. And there's lots of customs there. And you've got to have an agent and you've got to have paperwork and you've got to pay all these fees, etc. And that's fine. That is for trade. When you go personally, you don't get, have any real checks at all. You can drive over and you can drive back and you rarely get asked for any ID. You can use the buses that go back and forward through the villages and across the border. There's no checks whatsoever. So I believe that's the sort of border that Scotland and England will have. There will be some trade things that could be a smart border. So things could all be checked and the paperwork done in advance and they, the registration of the vehicle and it's checked and it drives across and there's no checking at all because it's already been declared in advance. That, 
And Boris said that was quite easy, if you remember. There was going to be a smart border. It would just be like being in London with the, con uh, what was it, con congestion charge. I mean, total nonsense. Shows you how he doesn't know anything about customs at all because collecting a number plate of a vehicle and sending them a bill if they don't pay a fee isn't really got anything to do with the sale and transport of goods. But that's the Brexiteers for you. Uh, it all seems so easy. I want to concentrate on your manifesto for independence. I'm not interested yeah. in Boris Johnson, forgive me. You have distributed this widely. Yes. But before you tell me where you've sent it and the kind of reaction you've had, could you remind me again, there's now a website. Let's repeat that for everyone that's listening. Yeah. What is the um, website? Literally, uh, not only are we on Facebook, you just type in at Manifesto 2021 and you'll find the Facebook page, which has the document on it. But we've just registered and launched Manifesto for Indie.com. Go on there. You'll find the document. You can download it. It also links to lots of other uh, either yes or political parties that support uh, independence and other useful resources, um, including the new media such as yourselves. And uh, th there's a button there for all of them. So easy to find, download the document, print it out, discuss it with your friends, family. Um, do you know what? I think this is really important uh, time in, in, in our history. We now have the opportunity to shape the country the way we want it. We, we, we can now... Uh, decide that our pensions need to be increased. Healthcare needs to be improved. Uh, we don't need to pay for nuclear weapons. We're not going to be subsidising cross rail across London. Uh, we're not interested in any of that. We're interested in improving the lives in Scotland. Environment issues for Scotland are extremely important. They don't seem to be important uh, down south. They don't seem to pay any attention to it at all. I mean, how many times do we watch the news and they've got another mass flood somewhere? Uh, is the penny not dropping? Do they not realise this is part of a pattern? I mean, I watched in America news just in the last couple of days, Texas. Texas that disconnected its energy source from its national grid so they didn't have to pay uh, the fees. This, this is the lunacy, absolute lunacy. They, so they cut it off so they didn't have to be regulated, they didn't have to pay these fees and they didn't have to invest. So they all managed to save some money. Yeah, and then it, the whole system collapses because they end up with a massive freeze now all the energy cuts out, all their homes are cut off. That's what happens when you take short-term self-serving decisions rather than looking at the long-term. The one thing that Scotland's got plenty of, it's resources. Energy is everywhere, where it's wind. Yeah, we've got some nuclear, but not much. We produce less greenhouse gases. We export energy to England. England can't survive without Scotland's electricity supply. Their lights will go out. I want to know who you exported Manifesto for Independence to. Where huh. have you circulated it? Oh, well, it's uh, first of all, it went to, it's been sent to all SMP Greens uh, MSPs, MPs. Uh, it's gone to uh, two or three uh, Irish, uh, prominent Irish politicians. It's gone to the uh, office of the U EU president. It's, I even put a note on the White House website telling them I'm giving them the link because there's no email address that you can send stuff to. Anyway, filled all that in, so who knows? Now, Biden obviously is Irish. Um, so, oh, and incidentally, one of his advisors on EU relations, American and EU relations, she used to work in the Scottish Parliament. She's Scottish. So I think we might have an in there. 
Um, so, uh, so it's gone everywhere um, and it's going to keep going everywhere because we're about to send out another thing which highlights the link. So anyone who hasn't yet seen it. And uh, it's gone to most of the yes groups. Uh, obviously, I now hear that now Scotland is looking and discussing this shortly. So that's, that's great news. Um, it's really woken people up because there was nothing out there that said quite clearly how you can deliver independence and you can do it now. Uh, you, you talked right. about... Takes, take, takes me back, David, to my favourite quotation in this programme, always having been the steward at all the marches over the last two years when they were taking place, there was only one shout out, two phrases, what do you want? Independence. When do you want it? Now. And I think the manifesto for independence, once people become aware of it, how simple it is and how straightforward it is, and it can be done now. Be done now, on having, May the 6th. May the having, 6th. You vote for the parties that are supporting it, and on May the seventh, you're independent. Let me take let, let me take you back to when we had you on before, David. We agreed oh, yeah. before we did the recording we would jump a wee bit. <clears throat> the man who, the the man that I'm looking at at the moment may go slightly red when I start this, but <laughs> the good guys were going, and you were involved in aiming for NEC secretary. Now, as I understand it, and correct me if I'm wrong, you came second in that, but with a heck of a lot of support. Yes. You're watching what's going on, particularly over this weekend, and I want to bring Dave in at this point. Dave, I think you may have you may have views on what happened over this weekend. I'm going to back out of this and leave you two to take this forward. So if I don't interrupt anyone again, that's the reason. I'm going to cause problems here because I'll tell you what, like some of the things I've actually heard about how the election was done for the last NEC, given that Ian McCann was doing the count that David didn't actually win, because uh, it doesn't take 45 minutes to tally to tally an electronic vote. But enough of that. Let's go on to this weekend. Last week, I posted that there was going to be an attempt put through the NEC yesterday to assassinate Joanna Cherry's career. Uh, I've been very careful to use the words there, given the fact that she's already had threats. But basically what happened yesterday was a complete assassination where rules have been changed, they've been blocked. Uh, 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 basically, with the one thing, so that they can retrospectively take away somebody who has as seen as a threat to Nicola Sturgeon. Not that the SNP have any historical uh, uh, thing of doing something like that. Uh, so, yeah, basically, they managed to get it through. Apparently, Kirsten Oswald, on, on the one before, actually voted for a motion that was on a tie, that the, the, the rules before it stayed, she should normally vote the status quo, but she didn't. People who have been rejected by the NEC uh, and rejected as candidates are now appearing at the NEC and putting this stuff up. And, and now she's managed to get herself back in a candidate list as well. Uh, how about that, David? Yeah, anything to say on that? <laughs> but maybe better yeah. mention the end you want to keep your membership. Well, first of all, you're right. The last time we met, I was, I'd put my name forward to stand for National Secretary. That all came from what happened last summer. If you remember the rule change, uh, and uh, I as a secretary and also as an organiser in the party, which I still am and have been re-elected again since then, I took ob objection to this and said this wasn't constitutional and started questioning how on earth these things were happening. 
it was deemed then uh, uh, we really needed to get better people on the NEC, people who weren't following personal agendas or narrow narrow politics on specific issues. That's quite difficult to do because it's all the people that are going on to these uh, committees are volunteers. You know, most of them are not elected uh, in the party. I mean, some of them are, obviously, people like Joanna Cherry and we've got a couple of councillors on there. And they are actually elect, but the majority are not uh, elected. They're simply like you and I, members well, I'm not sure actually if you two are members, <laughs> um, but if you were members, uh, then it would be you and I, etc. Right? And we put all this work and effort in ourselves, uh, and we pay for things ourselves, and we do it because we believe in the party and we believe in the rules, and we want to see things change and deliver certain things. Hence, why Manifesto for India is now out there. My view on what has been going on. Well, I, I know almost as I might know a bit more than. The average member of the public because people are telling me things but uh, one I don't think it's healthy to get involved in the personalities that are going on there is clearly a problem there's no doubt whatsoever there's a problem that it would appear votes and just to correct you slightly Dave on I believe on the previous vote where the business convener which is Kirsty she did indeed break protocol but it's not a rule from my understanding so the protocol is that if there is a split vote, then the chair always votes for no change for the status quo. That's the protocol. It's what's always happened. But I suppose if you want to achieve something, the protocol doesn't tie you. It's not in the rules, probably not in the standing orders, and therefore there's no rule broken. Uh, However, it is controversial. And (laughs) I just wish what was going on, the people that are involved in this, would understand that they are damaging the party, that the membership is not happy with, with this. You know, they're not, they don't have permission from the members to do this. They're, they refuse to talk to the members. I mean, basically, they're using COVID to, so that they're not talking to the branches, and then, the, then they're refusing debate at, at the conference, and then when they say that everybody's going to get their chance to talk at the assembly, as soon as everybody actually started complaining about things, they shut down the chat. Yeah, well... Not a good look, is it? For a party, I mean, I, I've heard this from people that are elected, that, uh, oh, we're doing so well in the polls. I said every time, polls don't win elections. That's just a snapshot. And isn't it funny how we're, our leader is very popular with the public, and yet we've got all these problems inside our own party? So I would say that the certainly the rules, I think, need to be, which is, uh, you'll remember, I had a very specific uh, and clear pledge that I put out there to, when I stood for National Secretary. I can't comment about your comments about how the vote actually went. Yeah, I've heard those rumours. Um, I didn't pursue it. I don't think it's healthy. Uh, if it was true, then it means democracy is really failing. Uh, and if it's not true, then it's just damaging to repeat them. So I, I didn't get involved in that. The problems are still there, and uh, we still need to fix these issues. The rules need to be sharpened up. We need to hand power of decisions back to our membership, our branches, and the members are the party. It's their party. It's not people who on the NEC. It's not their party to play with. Um, and I wonder if they realise what damage they're causing and they're very unlikely to benefit from it in the end because either they're going to end up with a party of just themselves and no one turns out for them and therefore all out of power in which case what have you actually achieved 
You know, I, I think it's clear we need to engage in debate. We need not to be afraid of it. I do, I, there's people that disagree with the EU, and I would happily argue for the EU. That's my personal view. But I'm also happy to hear other people's views, and EFTA is something that other people have brought up. I totally accept people have different views and things. I would be quite happily to use the euro. I don't care what piece of paper I have to pay for something for. I don't think it makes any difference. I think economically, there's a good argument to have your own currency because it gives you another power of lever to control your economy and to control interest rates, uh, etc. So I think overall, I would prefer that there's a Scottish pound and that there's a Scottish bank. Um, and incidentally, joining the EU, because this is one of the misinformation from the people that are against it, uh, that you have, oh, you join the EU, you have to take up the euro. No, you don't. Uh, mm -hmm. you're, you have to agree uh, in principle that you're going to one day adopt the euro. Yeah, well, there's been, <laughs> there's been countries that signed that. And years and years later, Poland, for instance, here's some slotty, Polish slotty. Have they joined the euro? No. Are they going to join the euro anytime soon? No. Um, so this is nonsense. So that's, that's a fair thing that's put forward by the other side, what currency are you going to use? You're tempting me when you're talking about <clears throat> money. Yeah. To, to raise a subject, which I know you have a personal interest in. I'm not drawing you on that because I think that's still ongoing. But yesterday there was an announcement that was going to be £2.1 million spent by the SNP. And... I, I still haven't worked this out. Part of that figure was £600,000. Now, there's been all sorts of discussions about £600,000 having been raised in the past, purely for a referendum. And now we seem to be talking about the same £600,000 or an entirely different £600,000 to be used for other things other than perhaps a referendum. Now, you have a personal interest in this. Would you, would you like yes, to respond yes. to me? Well, the personal interest is it was raised to me by someone uh, in the party during the summer and during my battle to get answers. So as you will remember, I decided, uh, and I, in fact, I made it very clear that I would take legal action against three individuals who were not replying and not following the rules as far as I could see. And all I really wanted was the answers and those answers have never been forthcoming. The case hasn't been heard yet. The case will be heard the next time on the 2nd of March. There is a case management. So uh, I don't know how long the process is going to take, but I've still never received any answers. Yes, one of those, un one of those questions was what's happened to the £593,000 that was raised for Indirect 2 and meant to be ring-fenced. Ring-fenced, I've got the accounts. These are publicly available. It's not, nowhere to be seen. Never got an answer. Still haven't had an answer. I saw, yes, there was something yesterday in NEC. I've not read the minutes or the notes yet, but I did see something that they've, uh, they've if you effectively identified £600,000 previously raised. Well, it's actually 593000 if we want to be accurate. And it's going to be spent on future campaigns. My understanding of the accounts... Uh, the last set of accounts that were published is there was only about £272,000 in an account. So I'm not sure where the 600000 comes from. I understand there's a borrowing facility available. So it may well be that what they've identified is future cash flow 
and a borrowing facility, and that they've highlighted that's what will be made available. And that's fine, but that's a future plan. It's, so I don't think we've got the answer to the £593,000, and I'm not one sure more, we're going to get it. One more thing on that, is, uh, because Doug Chapman uh, did a, a wee uh, post last night, because Craig Murray had basically said there was still some shamozal going on. And he also pointed out that this 600000 that we're talking about was to be spent on the 21 election, on the 22 council elections and NDNF, and we're going to do it by by taking on a lot more staff to be able to do it. It's like the last thing that SNP needs just now is more staff. At the end of the day, the troffers that are in it at the moment, that the payroll vote is just absolutely shocking. To then basically use NDNF money to take on more SNP staff, it's absolutely it, it, it's shocking. But then Doug Chapman came on last night, because uh, Craig Murray had pulled, uh, put, put, put this on Twitter, and, and, and Doug Cummins just, uh, no, Craig, you've got that slightly wrong, not on my watch, which is the exact words. Uh, I would quite like to talk to Doug Chapman and find out exactly what he means by, by that. Because at the end of the day, he made a statement, Craig Murray came back on it. There may be a misunderstanding there, but the problem is that there's so much obfuscation about everything that you never know what to believe. And I mean, I, I trust Doug Chapman. But as like I said last week, at the end of the day, Normally, me and Mike, we've got no right to know what happened to most things in the SNP with the money because we're no members. We don't we don't finance it. But we did finance that particular ring days on a promise. And at the end of the day, I would be absolutely shocked to think that another special advisor was going to be taken on. Can I just say, I think one of the issues, which is this part of the solution that I was proposing as National Secretary, was to make sure that we had transparency and that we didn't do things so much behind closed doors and, and have secret votes. Because I think, one, it's unhealthy. Two, people act differently if they know that they're doing it in the full gaze of the membership. Um, also, the members need to know what's being done in their names, their party. On the side of the money, first of all, I agree with you at one point. We don't need more staff. In fact, I suspect we need to cut the costs. Um, because the last set of accounts sees costs at 1.1 million a year in staffing costs. So that seems excessive. And uh, perhaps we need more staff, but people being paid less. <laughs> Maybe that's what we need, more numbers, but actually not being paid so much. But also, I, I think there's a trend, and this Manifesto for Indy fits perfectly into this trend. Now Scotland is a membership uh, yes movement, and that I really welcome. I've joined it. Um, I would recommend other people join it. It seems to be going in the right direction and it seems to be its focus is to deliver uh, a positive campaign and do it as part of an organisation. That is, I would have thought, the future vehicle to deliver a yes vote. Although, of course, if uh, the manifesto for India is successful, which I hope it is, we don't need a yes uh, campaign because as of the 7th of May, we will be independent and the next, what we will need is lots of helpers to help make sure that the next government, however, whatever flavour or however it's made up, uh, I have no doubt the SNP uh, will either be the biggest party or will have a majority. I don't know what the result will be. But uh, the fact is, make sure they deliver on the manifesto commitment. And therefore, there will be, uh, I think, groups. And that's why I think you come back down to the National Assembly and you you asked about that was on a list, and it is. 
And I think that brings groups like now Scotland, um, political parties themselves, but just generally the Yes Movement groups, there's many of them. There's the Currency Group, which is Tim Rideout, which, I mean, excellent work, lots of expertise. So definitely that I believe they should be part of the discussions and uh, feeding into a, the National Assembly on Currency. Uh, all that should be done because it comes back to, I don't really want to see a government that decides everything itself. Give us your vote and we'll come back in five years and see if you're happy with it. That's not, I don't think that's what people want. I think people want to help shape and prioritize what sort of country we want. Well, you do that by ensuring that the next government uh, engages with the National Assembly and policy is shaped from there. And I, I'm not a big believer. I, I, I don't like, if you like, big government. I think it's, it, no matter what flavor it is, I don't think it's a good idea. David, just to interrupt briefly, I think that's one of the things that you're perfectly correct on. There's been too much centralization. And if you watch the parliament proceedings, it's not a future Scotland for me. It's just argy-bargy for the sake of politics. Whereas you're actually trying to help people. You're trying to look after people. You're trying to develop an economy. And that has to be decentralized. There has to be... Living in Orkney is entirely different from living in Easter House, and what each need should be decided as close to where they are as possible. That's one of the hopes I have. Dave leaves me the responsibility of checking how long we've been actually talking. Yeah, I think we're I think we're coming to a close. Dave, anything you want to contribute? But I want to leave the last words with with David Henry. David, yeah, well, all success to you with the manifesto. Thanks very much, Mike. Thank you. I would like to say at the moment, we're heading for what everybody says is the most important election that we've had for a long time. I mean, they say that before every election. <laughs> uh, but, 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 I mean, if this manifesto is accepted, then, then it, it's seismic, the effect it have. We need something seismic because at the moment, kicking the can down the road, wait for policy's permission, or going for another five years. At the end, of the, I am actually terrified just now. With what happened at the NEC yesterday, they brought out uh, this statement that redefines transphobia, not only as if you, if you offend a trans person, but if you actually offend somebody who supports trans people, which basically means that the whole TRA people can get you done, thrown out the SNP if you transgress that line. Now, the problem is, this week, you've got three days to consult on Humza's hate crimes bill that they are going to squeeze through before the election. And that's going to be in place after the election, which basically means that some of the programmes that we'll put out would be illegal. And that is scary. Because, <laughs> because the, the re, honestly, the, any kind of criticism, and you can see if they're already doing it in the NEC, what's going to happen when you, when you end up with So... That's what I'd like to say about that. So, so personally, for me, I would like to see SNP win the election, but I would like to make sure that they do not have a majority. Dave, one of the lessons from, from Westminster you can take forward is that anything enacted in this current parliament does not bind the next parliament. And I think that will be true of Scotland. So, yes, yeah, you're concerned, but I wouldn't worry. I think an independent Scotland's going to have an awful lot of things to say about things that are going on at the moment. Can, we can forgot say, to mention, you've, yeah, got a I, party, you've got a party, you've got a party acceptance for it. 
Well, indeed, yes, there's already one party's adopted it, which I think we did say that at the beginning. Um, ISP, the Independent Scotland Party, uh, and I didn't get advance notice that that was happening. I only found out Saturday morning when the co-author of this with me, Jeff Bush, called, said, have you seen the news? And I thought, what, what news? Um, and he said, yeah, ISP's placed on our Facebook page that they've fully adopted it uh, and it will form part of their manifesto. So they'll have some other things in their manifesto. So that's the first party to adopt this, uh, which therefore means this does now stand a much better chance of actually shaping uh, what the next election is about. Um, all I would say is your, your talk about the, the GRA thing and the other issues. I'm not sure what's happened at the weekend is actually even constitutional because such power was not asked for by conference and therefore was never given. Uh, the only thing they've really got approval for, which was to come up with some form of the selection process for increasing BAME and 50-50 uh, gender balancing. That, that was uh, agreed at the previous autumn conference and gave them the power to do that. So I would uh, question whether what they've actually done is just grandstanding and made a bit of a publicity coup and actually whether or not it's really constitutional. But I haven't seen exactly the wording of what was put or exactly what happened in the votes. All I would say is there's two ways of dealing with these issues. You either throw your hands up in the air and resign and leave, in which case you've left <laughs> less people, or less moderate people in the party, and therefore it just spirals further and further down uh, into more and more trouble. Or you decide that you're going to help part, be part of the solution. I, I would want to be part of the solution. So I think that's where I see it going. You're quite right. The previous government's legislation doesn't necessarily bind the, the next one. And uh, obviously, if Scotland has taken back all of its powers and established its sovereignty as of the 7th of May, which is up to you, who everyone who's watching and listening. I only have to say that by the time this goes out, if Dave's right, we could all be in prison. So that's a bit disconcerting. <laughs> um, unless, of course, we all self-identify as something else or someone else, and therefore <laughs> they won't be able to pin it on us. Anyway, I, I, I don't get involved in those controversies. Uh, I think people need to get back to basics of being respectful debate. I believe in the Equality Act. I believe everyone is equal. And uh, I think we should stick stick to that and forget these games, because that's what they are, games. David, thank you very, very much for being here and with us. I've already wished you all success. I think everyone should get onto your website, download yep. the document, and start discussing it with people. And just remember two things. The questions, what did you want? You wanted independence. When did you want it? You wanted it now. Here's a way of achieving that. Well done, David. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Good luck. I'd like to say, I'd like to say one more thing as well. If there's anybody for Afi watching, don't let the ISP beat you by too long. And uh, there'll probably not be any Greens watching this because they don't like my views or, or, or the trans debate. But if there is, you can do it too. And you won't be watching your SDMP because there's chances you get thrown at the party. <laughs> so, thanks very much for coming along, David. Yeah. Bye.